Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. For those of you who think, yeah, you know, I'm pretty good with the horses. I can make some money with the horses. Let's say your name is Bill Schaefer or Johnny Richardson. Do you have speed figures named after you? Because we got Andy Byer, who has the Byer speed figures. Yeah. That's his credential. Eat it. Okay? Let's understand something. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Unfortunately, Andy got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, he had the speed horse, the number one horse. It didn't win. It led for much of the race, but it did not win. We will talk to Chuck Culpepper later about the Belmont race. To me, the significant story in the Belmont race is not who won. It's that uh, Rich Strike lost. Yeah. You know, and, and you wonder, as you and I'll ask Chuck this, in the greater sort of view of Rich Strike. Is it better that he won or that he lost? Because if he lost, he's the greatest derby winner of all time and he probably never wins another race. And if he won, you go, whoa, you know, 200 years of science with horses just went out the window. <laughs> so we'll talk to him about that. And he did not get that one right. Uh, Michael is here today, I'm happy to say. Nigel is here today, I'm happy to say. I, I'm not going to dwell on the Nats, there's no point. The Nats won a series. They beat Milwaukee two out of three. They lost yesterday. They got a good pitching performance, actually, from Paolo Espinosa, who's always good. He just didn't win, and they didn't hit. But they hit the first two games. That's not what I want to talk about. I also watched the Tony Awards. I'm going to be very brief about the Tony Awards. I watched for about an hour, and I love the Tony Awards, and I got to watch some big musical numbers. The guy who plays Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, that's right. He, yeah. he dances and looks just like Michael. Did you He's see He's local, it? right? I don't know. I don't yeah. know anything about him. I mean, he was great. The, I, the tough thing with that performance is, if you remember the Smooth Criminal video, yeah. it's so theatrical, and it, it's it, you, you just watch it live, and it still feels hollow compared to what that was. And I, I was under, just waiting for the cue ball to come out so he could squeeze it. I, I understand all of that, but I thought it was remarkable how good he was. Just great. Did you um, see Billy Crystal? I was going to get to that now. My friend Billy Crystal went out there, and I thought he did very well. I thought he won the audience in an impossible thing to do, which is to do scat singing in Yiddish. Say oi. <laughs> and he had... And he <laughs> had, Say may. He, he was very fortunate. He got Samuel L. Jackson involved in it, and, and Samuel L. Jackson was great and played along tremendously. Um, what I thought about, Billy is my age. That's very physical, what he did. Running around? Very physical. And I wonder, how many performances do you have in you as Mr. Saturday so Night? Part of that is from the show that he does, right? Yes, that, it's that got, that's the big number on, Mr. I assume, on Mr. Saturday I was Saturday say, Night. It's the type of thing that on paper, you're like, trust me, just go with it. Crystal wants to do it. It'll work. But that's yeah. different than having the, the split of the insiders up front, the TV. It worked on TV as well as in the audience. It did. It worked really good. It worked really good. So I was happy for that. And then I just stopped because I don't know any of the shows, and I honestly got tired of people praising the Broadway community. Oh, you know, I mean, they didn't, they didn't discover a cure for monkeypox. Talking about the understudy <laughs> and the show must go on yeah, while you, while you let the people in the, uh, in the orchestra fine. take their masks off. I love theater. I love theater. Love to go see theater. I've seen more plays than most. Love it. But I, it's just I don't want to make it into 
you know, alerting Boston that the British are coming. I mean, it's, it's so yesterday in the afternoon on PBS, they were doing the 25th uh, an- anniversary concert of Les Mis, and I yeah. can see both boys slowly creeping towards, uh, a, you know, late act one number with Jean Valjean. Yeah, and I was like, "Do you guys remember this? I used to sing this to you in the bathtub." And I started to think, "Man, it's been years since I've seen a live show." It's that's, uh, and I understand that, and I hope we get to the point where everybody's comfortable seeing live shows. And I love. The Tony Awards. Love the Tony Awards. I got to see Patti LuPone. Patti LuPone's been winning Tonys for 40 years, and she won another one. That was very nice. Anyway, that's not what I really wanted to start with. I wanted to start with the golf. I wanted to start with the Canadian Open. And the greatest thing that happened to the PGA Tour is that Rory McIlroy, who is the champion of the PGA Tour, won that tournament. And I don't want to say he tried to give it away, but I will say this. He missed in the last... Until 17, I think, in the last four holes, 13, 14, 15, 16, I think he missed two putts within five feet. That's always been his Achilles heel, but you yeah. saw that this, the putting stats sometimes are different than what the eye test tells you, which is, I think it was that 15th hole, he tried to push an eight iron on a pretty long par three, and he just left himself with a very tough first putt, which set up the second miss. Um, he also hit short irons from the fairway better than anybody of all time. He was on... On the back nine, and in fact, the whole day, he probably had seven holes where he was within five feet. Yeah. He was unbelievably good, and ultimately, Justin Thomas and Tony Finau stepped back, did not put particular pressure on him, and Rory won. Now, why do I say that's important? Because Rory McIlroy, as I just said, is the face now of the PGA Tour, even though he's not American-born and bred. He's from Northern Ireland. He has been out there up front saying the PGA Tour is great. If you go, he has not been critical specifically of the Saudi tour, but he has said if you make decisions solely for money, they bite you in the end. And that is not even an, a veiled shot at Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson. It's not veiled he, he at all. He became a little bit more critical yesterday after he won towards okay. the Shark. I'd, well, yes. I wanted to say this. Uh, um, there's a story, there's a wire service story in the Post today, and I just breezed through it. The, um, Greg Norman has said critically of Rory McIlroy, that he's been brainwashed. In other words, Rory, he's saying, Rory, Rory, you're not smart enough to make your own decision. These people have brainwashed you into being their little toady. So that's a real shot from Greg Norman at Rory McIlroy. And Rory McIlroy's victory yesterday was the 21st of his career. He's still a very young man in his early 30s, the 21st of his career. And this is his quote. This is a day I'll remember for a long, long time. 21 PGA Tour wins, one more than somebody else. Greg Norman had 20. That's a direct (laughs) shot at Greg Norman. A direct shot. What I, what the, the word impressed is not the right word I want to use. What was memorable for me in the telecast was Jim Nance interviewing Jay Monahan. Jay Monahan is the chairman, is that his name, of the yeah. PGA Tour, the chairman? Not the commissioner, is he the commissioner? Oh, commissioner. He's the commissioner. Yeah. Okay, he's the commissioner. He's the guy who makes all the decisions in terms of what the punishments will be and what the strategy will be to compete with the Saudi Golf Tour. Him. I think he's howling in the wind, but that's just me. Jim Nance asked him three or four or five questions all of which were the right questions and all of which were the predictable questions. Anybody who was prepping Jay Monahan could say, Jay, here's what the questions are going to be. They were asked without any edge whatsoever. 
without any particular follow-up whatsoever, without any meanness whatsoever. Why? Because Jim Nance is the PGA Tour. CBS, huge partner of the tour. Let <laughs> yeah. me toss you a meatball, Commissioner. Yeah. yeah. So the questions were the right questions. They, were they superficial to a degree? But it, that's okay. Right. They were the right questions. And the first time Jim Nance asked some question about sort of why are you taking this position against the Saudi tour? And Jay Monahan says, well, let me answer your question with a question. No. <laughs> No, don't be too cool for school. When you answer a question with a question, you know, people just say, what are you talking about? Are you not prepped for this? Did your people not tell you what anyone could have told you? These are the five questions Jim Nance is going to ask. Jim Nance could have given you a sheet of paper with these questions on him. Anybody would have asked these. Jim Nance did the right thing. This is not criticism of Jim Nance at all. Not at all. Yeah, the flip side. But Jim Nance is a partner in the PGA Tour. CBS is a partner. Yeah. I think Monahan already had the answers on a printout that had already been released to all the newswires. And his question of the question was to just get to the idea of the casual golf fan going, I watched some of their golf over the weekend and on Saturday. Now I'm happy to watch your product as you have one of the best players in the world sort of dueling it out as you go into the back nine and you have Justin Rose on 59 watch. Like, this is exciting. Yeah. Why do you have to squeeze these guys out of this tour when you've previously let these guys play on other, you know, other worldwide events All around? fair questions. Jay Monahan called, his biggest criticism was the free ride of the Saudi tour. And what he means by that is that everybody gets paid. Um, it, it is, in effect, a guarantee because the floor is guaranteed where that is not necessarily true if you miss the cut in a PGA tournament. Andy Ogletree didn't break 75, made $120,000. And, and that can happen. So Monahan says this. It's been an unfortunate week that was created by some unfortunate decisions, those decisions being players choosing to violate our tournament regulations. Those players have chosen to sign multi-year lucrative contracts to play in a series of exhibition matches against the same players over and over again. You look at that versus what we see here today, and that's why they need us so badly. You've got true, pure competition. The best players in the world here at the RBC Canadian Open with millions of fans watching. And in this game, it's true and pure competition that creates the profile and the presence of the world's greatest players. Unquote. It's a lovely quote. It has very little truth to it. The PGA Tour wants the same players every single week. That's why they put in a clause that says you got to play X amount of tournaments. The PGA Tour isn't stupid. They want Rory McIlroy and John Rahm and Justin Turner and Phil Mickelson, if they can get them, and Dustin Johnson every single week. If you could have limited field WGC events they'd do it. with guaranteed money. They would do it. <laughs> they would do it. The notion that somehow the Saudi Tour is not real competition is stupid. Of course it's stupid. The winner gets more money. You don't think they want to win? I mean, the, I, I'm going to turn to Michael now because he knows more about this. But, but true, pure competition, they both have that. The thing is going to rise or fall ultimately on an American audience on television and an American audience at the track. Are enough people going to want to watch this that the PGA Tour can't dictate terms anymore? Yeah, and so if you look at the timing of this, the first one in London still felt a world away, and pr primarily that was because of the time zone. Coming to America. And so as soon as they come to Portland, and all of a sudden they have the opportunity to be on prime time, and you start to see, does that idea of the shotgun start when a lot of eyeballs can watch? Is that going to be something that changes everything? Uh, so 
Jay Monahan did himself no favor. I don't know why. So I understand why he had to do the interview. Sure. I don't understand why CBS had to allow or had to encourage Nance and Fowler to be so critical on Saturday into yes, Sunday. Yes, I did not see that. You did. Uh, just because I thought the visuals they did. So yesterday, the trailing shots of the crowd following Rory, to me, that's the that's the power of the image of what the PJ Tour is offering right now, which is the built-in fan base. You have the relationships. You have this tournament that is a national championship that's part of this tour. That was beautiful. You have to let the, the, the golf talk for itself. You have one of the best winners you could possibly have of any event worldwide in, in Rory McIlroy. And it, there's like this sadness to it as he's still using his European Ryder Cup uh, putter grip and you think what's going to happen with all his boys uh, going forward so I would have let the product speak for itself if you're trying to think about what the strength of the tour is and you talk about why do they need us and you want to go you just took a handful of those players and gave them millions of dollars last year in a made up player impact program which showed that you in fact need them as well yeah that's all you have to say is we need the players too and he, there was, it wasn't that what he said wasn't honest. I'm not saying it wasn't honest. It wasn't thorough. It wasn't complete. It was preposterously aggressive. Preposterously aggressive. Let me answer your question with another question. What's with them? And that's, I mean, you know, I mean, basically what he said was, we got the best thing here. And if you don't want it, die. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was just very, very standoffish. Now I will say, I have, I have, uh, I have a lot of fatigue from this. I think it's just going to get worse and worse once this comes uh, to the states in two weeks. I think it is. But once you, uh, the last week when you've seen Phil with his, uh, I guess I call it his quarantine beard, his his villainous turn. Sally Jenkins wrote a great. Please, please read it. Great. Uh, <laughs> column but even rory what if what if this has woken up rory who's sort of been in a bit of a lull and, and a lot of that's and he wants his, to go win yeah a lot of that's because of his uh you know covid growing his family you, other other pressures on his life but if you're the u.s open you cannot ask anything more than a not the u.s open now not pj tour right you can ask nothing more than a sunday father's day go for the win last group of Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy. That's the dream. I mean, you could say Phil, but we don't really think that Phil is. Well, you don't think Pat Perez, like just rounding out the three ball? <laughs> I don't think Pat Perez. Will Bond's boy. I don't think so. Speaking of Will Bond, he's next. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Thomas Crawford. From Rochester, New York, and his band is called Max and the Mammoth. This is called Small Town Love. Once again, we are thrilled at the amount of great music that we get. Just astonishing. Yeah. I don't know that I would have named a band Max and the Mammoth. <laughs> Max and the Woolly Mammoth or the Woolly Mammoths. <laughs> well, I saw that the album cover. Is it, it nice? It, it looks like a kid's book. It was, oh. it was very charming. I said, oh, yeah. So Bootsy and the Hammer might like it? They would certainly love the, uh, yes, I think they would. Nice. We're going to play this, play him twice, that them, I'm sorry, not him. He sent it, we'll play them twice today. I advertised Michael Wilbon. We don't have Michael Wilbon unless something happens, deus ex machina. 
We don't have Michael. I'm Wilbur. beginning to think your relationship is strained. No, I mean, I you know he said he's in California. Let me try to describe what his life has been like over the last few weeks covering these playoffs. I mean, he's running all around the country. Now, he likes running all around the country, but he's running all around the country. He has to get back for Gonzaga Summer Ball, right? Yeah. By the way, this is the cover. Max oh, and Max the and a Mammoth. Yeah, yeah, it does look like the Woolly Mammoth. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So, Wilbon is in San Francisco. He was in Boston. He went out to San Francisco. There's a game tonight. Game five is tonight. And then he's going to have to come back because there has to be a game six. Yes. And this is, you know, it's stressful at any age, but you do reach an age where the travel, you just fall asleep. And we're asking him to get up three hours early. And he says, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But I, you know, I shouldn't even ask. But he doesn't, he says to me, I'll do this. And I said, are you sure you want to? But I don't know. Yeah, those are the conversations. He's like, listen, we don't, why don't we do this later? And he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm there. And yeah. yeah so anyway, so what we will do is we will... In this particular case, I will do the segment that Wilbon would have done. I mean, I will not be able to answer the questions in the way that Wilbon answered them, but we will spend a little bit of time on the NBA playoffs. The series was tied in Boston in game four when Steph Curry, I think, shot 14 for 26. Yeah. That's awfully good. He's not taking layups. He <laughs> takes some layups, but it's, you know he mostly takes long shots. 14 for 26, and he had 40 points or more than 40 points. Like and 43, yes. Yeah, and he became like one of the three people of all time in a finals to have 40 points and 10 rebounds. It's like hardly anybody who did it, and the people who did it are all in the Hall of Fame. And where Steph Curry is going to be. Clay Thompson was okay. Draymond Green facilitated, but doesn't score anymore. He scores two points a game. He has more fouls than points. You, know, you just look around, you wonder. Boston... Why did Boston lose? Because Boston doesn't win two in a row. <laughs> That's exactly Or right. lose two in a row. They don't. When they win two in a row, they win the series. If you go back and check, you will see, certainly against Brooklyn, they won four in a row. But then against Milwaukee, they won six and seven. And against Miami, they won four and five and then won seven. If they put together two games that they win in a row, they win the series. My feeling about Boston is they've had a harder road to go than Golden State in getting to this point. I think they're a better team than Golden State, but I'm sort of rooting for Golden State. And you'll say, well, Golden State has the advantage again because they've got home court. They lost home court in the first game. What makes you think they won't lose it again tonight? What do I think? Do I think that I think that the winner of game five is going to win the series? But but do you not think, honestly, if 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 Golden State loses game five, do you not think they can win two in a row? Do you not think that a team with Steph Curry can win two? Because of course they can. Yes, of course they can. Steph Curry is the best player on the court. He's the best player on the court. Jason Tatum's a very good player. Steph Curry's the best player on the court. And by the way, there's nobody on Boston that can do what Klay Thompson can do if he gets hot. Nobody on Boston's ever scored 37 points in an NBA quarter. He has. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's done that. He has done that. Yeah. So, and I, and I want Golden State to win because I like Steve Kerr and I like Draymond Green and I like Klay Thompson and I like Steph Curry. And I think they're good for basketball. And I think people like to watch them play. And I want to see them win because then Kevin Durant's contribution to their run doesn't have to be maximized. 
because they would have won on the front end without Kevin Durant and on the back end without Kevin Durant. And someday Kevin Durant will tell us why he thought teaming up with Kyrie Irving was better than teaming up with Steph Curry. Because that's the question everybody has. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Why would you do that? I am disappointed that not a single game has been close late. It's disappointing. Every single game, 10 or more. Yeah. Every single game, somebody's dribbling out the clock. And if you ask your friends, if you have casual conversations and you ask, did you stay with it? And they go, well, with about five or six minutes to go, I just sort of left. You know, nobody's staying with it to the end. What are you, You're a Boston fan. Yes. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's hard to disagree with anything you said there. I mean, Steph Curry is such a brilliant player. And doesn't mean they'll win. Doesn't mean they'll win. The other team's better. Yeah, I, I think, and, and it's a great point that the, that the Celtics had such a difficult path to get there. Yes, they they've really been tested. Yep, battle-tested um, team. And, but they, can't, they don't handle prosperity well. I mean, they win a game and they just, you yeah. know, and you thought that, you know, at the beginning of the game, you thought, oh, wow, they could really build up a big lead. And they didn't do that. And sort of at that point, you said, this thing is not going to go the way you hope. And at the end of the game, they did all the things that they, they do when they're losing. They sit around, they spot up for threes, they, they take bad shots. You had Marcus Smart taking a bunch of ill-advised shot late. And, and you know, and, and it was a real squandered opportunity. They're I still in it. It's two, very two. much so. Yeah. It's 2-2, two, two, and they're going to a place where they've won. And they don't seem to be intimidated by playing on the road no, and winning not. on the road. They're better. Yeah. They're actually better on the road. <laughs> oh, Michael, yeah. you paying attention to And it? they don't lose again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't lose two in a row. You paying yeah. attention? Not really. Yeah. Did you pay attention to the hockey? Still, that's a that's a no for me. Okay. I, I wasn't watching with, with a close eye, but boy, there's a few things with the Rangers. I mean, they're just losing. So range. Tampa Bay. It's tough. Tampa Bay went down 0-2. They lost the first two games on the road. Now, no series starts until the home team loses, yeah. really, in any sport. They went down 0-2. They then won four in a row. The critical moment was the 42 seconds to go in game three. Or else they're going to overtime, and if they lose, Tampa Bay, if they lose, they're out. They then won four in a row. They won three games very close and one game, game four, very easily, four to one. They're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, and, and this needs to be said. In hockey, if you win one Stanley Cup, it's great. You're happy for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Hockey players, one is fine for them. If you win two, it's even greater. If you win three in a row, you're a dynasty. There aren't that many. You know, there's the Canadians in the 50s and 60s. There's the Islanders. Yep. They won three or four in a row. There's the Oilers, won three or four in a row. I don't know that Detroit or Pittsburgh won three or four in a row. Yeah, i have to check on that. I don't know that they did. You win three in a row. What was Chicago's run like a decade ago? They had three in about five or six years or seven years. That doesn't mean they're not yeah. great. But three in a row is exceedingly rare in hockey. And Tampa Bay, and I don't know much about hockey, Tampa Bay could achieve that. Now, the other part of that is Tampa Bay did not have a real great regular season. Colorado did. Colorado's really good. I'm sitting here in Washington, D.C., not thinking about the Colorado Avalanche, not knowing anything about them other than they have Nathan McKinnon, right? He's the only guy I know. But I got to feel they're pretty good because they just won the Western Conference Finals in a sweep. <laughs> yeah. So I would think they would actually be the favorites. That doesn't mean Tampa Bay won't win, but Tampa Bay, I think, finished fourth or fifth in the regular season in conference. They haven't had home ice in any of these things. Yeah. 
But they, I mean, they probably look at it as like, this is this is where... Yeah, it's our time. This is our time. It's, We're ready it's to the go. finals. Yeah. By the way, the Red Wings did not win uh, three think, in a row I don't in the think 90s. Pittsburgh did. Uh, the Red Wings did win uh, three in a row. Oh, not three in a row. I'm sorry. They won several in the 50s, but never three in a row. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. And P- Pittsburgh did not win three in a row. They won two in a row. Yeah. But, I don't, but three is in hockey. It, that's really rare air. That makes you you know, a dynasty. It puts you on the most elite level you can be on. This is the week segment today. I did the best I could, and I'll get out of here and did shut you, up. Can I ask you the one thing? Did you see what happened at the end of the Rangers? It wasn't the final game. The game before that with the Rangers-Lightning uh, game. The open net goal? No, no, with the, one of the fans. Oh, I did see that. I've seen it on uh, a thousand people have sent me this thing. Say so you have to watch this. That a, that a guy in a Ranger shirt punched out a guy in the head. And yeah. A guy in a, in a Tampa Bay shirt. I mean, knocks him out cold. Right. He's been arrested though. Uh, yeah, banned from the stadium for life. And apparently, as he was talking to the police, but arrested could go to jail. Uh, he could go to jail. I think for assault. direct assault. <laughs> it's direct I mean, assault. I mean, when you watch it, I don't, I don't there's know. no question. It's assault. He just turns around with a left. By the way, a left hook. It looks Pretty like good. gets him. Uh, but apparently as he's talking to the police, that's when he started to realize, like, oh, no, wait a minute. This could be on the internet, couldn't it? <laughs> like, yes. yes. And we're all going to know what you just did, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah they arrested him. <laughs> Deservedly so. Yeah. All right. Terrible. We'll take a break. Chuck Culpepper will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, these are Max and the Mammoth. Played them twice today. This is called Summer Days, sent to us by Thomas Crawford. He's the leader of the band from Rochester, New York. Love Rochester, New York. It's the hometown of Mark and Marty Tuohy, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. Didn't know and that. my friend Tony Keller, who is Marty Tuohy's brother, Rochester, New York. Summer Days. Michael, if people like Max and the Mammoth want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. Are we selling anything? Yeah, we still have the Father's Day cut-up for uh, Johnny O, TK Bootsy 5. <laughs> Go get some matching, uh, matching shirts. Yeah. So Chuck Culpepper joins us now, and I said earlier yesterday to Nigel, let's get Chuck to cover the Belmont, because he went to the Belmont, and then Nigel told me he was going to be in Boston, in Brookline, for the Phil Mickelson press conference. I said, that's great, we can do two different stories. Then I looked in the paper, and Chuck didn't cover the Belmont. Like, didn't cover the Belmont. I thought for sure you were covering the Belmont. What happened? Oh, they asked me not to cover the Belmont, so so I just uh, I just sort of... Uh, monitored it and uh, watched it, and and that was it. So it was, um, you know, with no triple crown in the office right. and all, and and um, you know, just just the fact that uh, there there are also you know only three horses from the Derby were in the Belmont, and none of those had been in the Preakness. So it was a strange, this was a strange campaign, but one that kind of. Uh, blared that reality of that horses just don't race as frequently as they used to. And, you know, everybody, there have been whole 
like rash of reasons given for that, why that could be. But she looked, it was the first Triple Crown campaign since 1954 where the Derby winner didn't run the Preakness and the Preakness winner didn't run the Belmont. And so um, those, those were crazy circumstances back then. Horses ran. The horse who, who won the Derby that year determined had run had been like almost an American football team in his schedule. He had run, you know, week after week after week up to that. He even ran five days before the Derby at Churchill Downs. So this this particular Triple Crown campaign for me was sort of the utmost example of how trainers just rest their horses a lot more than they used to, and they they think they run better. Yeah, we had Andy Byer on, and, and Andy is an advocate now of changing the Triple Crown, crown schedule that has been in existence for, I don't know, 7,000 years, <laughs> that it's uh, race two weeks, race three weeks, you know, that, and he doesn't, he thinks that's going to change, and I understand that. You had written a walk-up story, though, about Rich Strike, and this is, this is what I want to ask. I was rooting for Rich Strike, because to me, if you win the Derby and the Belmont, and everybody thinks you're a mutt before you get into the Derby. That's one of the greatest stories of all time. But it's also possible that one of the greatest stories of all time is if Rich Strike never wins another race. And the only race he's ever won is the Kentucky Derby. What side of the fence are you on with that? I would say I'm on the other side of the fence. The one that the one win is, is so enchanting that that's the one that's, that's going to last longer. So I would say the latter of your two scenarios, because I think if he had won the Derby in Belmont without running the Preakness, that's a distinction. And that means he's, he's, you know, growing and he's getting better and, and he's a little better than all of us thought, but (laughs) winning just the Derby, um, since, since last September when, when he won his only other race, you know, and winning just the Derby kind of makes the thing you know, even more enchanting about what can happen just on one day. That's our one of our all-time, that would have to be in sports, one of the all-time, you know, on any given day type type story. So I would go with that latter one because it's so nutty. I, I tend to agree with that. I thought Rich Strike was the story of the Belmont. It, win or lose, I, if I'm writing a column... If it's me, I'm writing about Rich Strike, win or lose. But you, you, you indicated that there's a very interesting story about the winner, Mo Donegal. And, and the, is it the trainer or the owner? Because the trainer's won 100 we, times. Yeah. Right, right. This is, and the, the owner, uh, Mike, one of the owners, Mike Repol, um, from everybody at the track knows him as Mike from Queens. I just <laughs> thought it was really striking that, that he... At the end, he told NBC, he said, you know, this is the culmination of a 40-year dream. And here we are, you know, here's a lot of the rest of us thinking, okay, this, this Belmont is an anticlimax. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's got no, it's tepid. It's got no, no buzz to it, whatever. And, and then you, when you realize, you know, it's people who sort of throw their lives into this dream, and this is what they, they dream about. And it sort of, sort of recalibrated the whole thing for me in that moment. Mike from Queens. It sounds like what Chris Russo would say. Let's go to Mike from Queens. You know, I'm with the mad dog. Um, So the news today, the other news for us, and we were just talking about this before your segment, 
uh, how the PGA Tour could not have asked for anything greater in their lives than Rory McIlroy winning yesterday because he is the champion of the tour. But you're going to talk to Phil in Brookline. Phil Mickelson, um, I sure hope you read Sally's column. Boy, that was great. Just so great the other day. Um, you know, uh, you're going to talk to Phil Mickelson, and what do you what do you expect to hear from him? This is going to be his first one in America, right? First big right. one. Yeah. Right, and I think... I think we're at this next phase now where he's already appeared. He's already told uh, the, the two writers who followed him on, on Saturday, no, I'm not going to talk to you today. I'm gonna, I'll see you in Boston. And I think now we're going to get to this phase where I, this thing has become a little bit more accepted already, I guess, and, and with more players in it. And, and I'm expecting him to make some apologies I would say, and but be maybe a little more uh, sort of firm in his in his way in his manner about this thing. I think so. This it's is going to be a nutty day. Yeah, this isn't under the auspices of the Saudi tour. No right. question is going to get you thrown out. Like if you want to say, as I heard, there was some question. Well, would you play an event sponsored by Putin? <laughs> you know, and I think that <coughs> Chipnuck was, you know, his whole deal was, I'm getting dressed up here to get tossed, and I think that happened. We're not going to see that, right? I mean, right, he, we're, it, right. We're not seeing anything like that today, right? Did you do you agree with me that Chipnuck just wanted to get tossed to sell books? Oh, I'm not sure. I, okay, I, no, I don't. No, I, I could see it. Uh, I could see it in the manner of just Shipnuck saying, um, I, I really ought to show up. You know, it would be lame of me not to show up. You think anyone will ask Phil about his overt shot at the PGA Tour by wearing a master's vest in his first tournament? <laughs> yes, I think someone <laughs> will ask about that. And there's such a range of things you could ask that, this is going to be that rare press conference where, you know, you kind of there will be no, not a, not even a moment of snoozing involved. I I agree. And by the way, Phil can talk, and Phil is going to prep for this, and you know, and he's he knows the questions just like Jay Monahan knew the questions yesterday and failed. Phil, I don't think is going to fail. What are you? If you had one question, and they they said, okay, Mr. Culpepper, your question, what is it? I would ask him if he, like, if he knows, if he maybe if he and Amy, his wife, know any people uh, who who would be affected by the kinds of human rights uh, standards the, the Saudi government has, and whether they've had any conversations with them, and what, what those conversations have gone like. That w- that would be the way I would think about it. Just something that brings it into a human focus, and um, something you know, that sort of brings it down to a, to a human level and, and sort of what that's like for him to, you know, to, to now collaborate with this. This is an interesting thing to me. Phil can be charming. Um, Phil was at a point in his career at 51 or 52 years old, of course, where he wasn't going to win regularly on the PGA Tour, if at all. And there's no real money in the senior tour. So Phil had to find something else to do. But I don't think he can charm his way out of today. Do you? I mean, I, I just, I'm not sure he can. This is American soil. This is PGA territory, whether or not the USGA has anything to do with the PGA. I think this is going to be 
tough. I do for him, and I hope he's prepared. I, I agree, and I think it's I think it's going to be a tough in a way that is going to sit with him after he leaves the room. Too. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it's good. I think he likes to be liked. Most of us do, but I yep. think he likes to be liked, and I think that 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 strain of it is going to be rough on him. Um, yeah, after like for he'll, he'll think about it beyond this particular hour or however long it lasts. I was saying to my son off air. I think this was off air just now that if I was the USGA and running the U.S. Open, I'd want nothing more than the last group on Father's Day to be Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson. That would be me. I'd want that. What do you think the USGA wants? Do you think they want one of the Saudi Tour guys in the final? I would think, I would think they would not. Okay. That, that would be my initial guess. I, w- I would think they would kind of want them to be out of the way where that wasn't what... You know, they have this bonanza, this attention, this thing. But I would think that by the end, they would like for it to be, you know, something where it's it's maybe more aligned with what what you would normally see. I would think they would want all of that noise out of the way and and have the golf uh, sort of. Is there any way? Is there any way for that to be achieved at this point? I, you know, that that we could actually next Monday be talking about the golf. I don't know but um you know it's it seems maybe unrealistic but i would think that's what they would want it to have some you know chatter about a great golf event do you think they'll give phil good tea times like early the first day late the second day do you think they'll give him that or do you think they'll do you think they're mad at phil i mean maybe dustin johnson matters as well but nobody matters as much as phil other than tiger nobody matters as much Will they may be mad at him? I couldn't see them taking it out on him in that way. I think they're too. I think the people who who run majors are are just, you know, it, it doesn't seem to me to factor into their uh, their equation that they or to help them in any way that they that they mm-hmm. would, you know, exact some sort of revenge for for and you know of course Phil has come so close to winning the U.S. Open six times at least, and probably more if we went back and counted it up and, you know, in, in various ways. And so it's, it's really something that he's here and that he's going to be the first one to speak this week and that, you know, it's, I think it's rare to have a Monday press conference at 1 o'clock. That was yeah. kind of telling me he wanted to get out of the way. And that this is sort of the aching story of Phil's career, you know, missing part, the missing giant part, the one that he's, he's had a shot at so many times so close. And, yep. um, you know, you'd have to think he's reaching the age where the chances are, if not, if they haven't run out already, they're, they're, they're just about to. So to throw that in the, this mix too, is it's all, it's too much. Do you think Chuck, that they will pair the Saudi guys together or do you think that they will split them up and have, pairings that would include both PGA tour guys and Saudi guys. I'm going to guess split them up, but I know that everyone will be looking for, mm-hmm. for that. You know, that's the set of tea times to come out, which is going to be, uh, you know, you get those little, little widened eyes in the room when you see certain groups sometimes, but this, this will be 
I don't know, is this the is this maybe the most interesting tea time revelation ever? I I uh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Maybe maybe it is. Yeah, but I, I'm going to guess all strewn around. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that it is. I mean, I think that people are going to see what is the USGA going to do with this whole thing. Anyway, um, the head pro there is Brendan Walsh, right? And that's uh, Courtney Fremming's cousin. So if you see the head pro there, say hello from Courtney Fremming, who plays at Columbia with me. So that's very nice. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Chuck. Enjoy it. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. Chuck Culpepper. That's right in the middle of the action. Phil Mickelson. I mean, I can't guarantee you much. But I can guarantee you the PTI show today will have a Phil Mickelson story. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to happen. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. What an honor that is. It's just such an honor. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, thank you. We've got the bagel sandwiches today. Very excited about that. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty, been down, isn't it a pity, doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking half dead, walking on the sidewalk, hotter than a match. Those, of course, are the loving spoonful. I'm going to try this. Joe Butler... Oh, Zal Yanovsky, John Sebastian, and either Steve or Randy Boone. I'm not sure of his first name. I think that was the original group. These were in the mid to late 60s, one of the great harmonizing vocal groups of all time. First sort of long-haired band in the United States of America, the Love and Spoonful. Do I have that right? Do I have the names right? I believe you do. Sorry, it's, they don't list it in order the way they should. But I, I think you did get it yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks to our guest today, Chuck Culpepper. Thanks to today's sponsors, Sunday X Chair, Shopify. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Um, as a public service, Dina in Damascus writes, in case you haven't heard, there will be a Jingle Fest Saturday, June 25th. That is in a week and a half to two weeks. Yeah. Saturday, June 25th at 7 p.m. at the Holiday Inn in Springfield, Virginia. I want to let everyone know that Piano Keys, signed by Mr. Tony Beeson himself, <laughs> will be sold at Jingle Fest with all proceeds going to Rocco's Warriors. This piano was played by Mr. Beeson himself before it was dismantled. <laughs> there are only 88 keys on a piano, right? Is there, Are there 88? I'll go count. You know, I think there are 88 keys. I think. I think. That's correct. Look for me, Dina in Damascus, at Jingle Fest if you want a signed key. I'll be the one wearing the mask that says Dina in Damascus. <laughs> Just for laughs, everybody should have a mask that said Dina from Damascus. <laughs> yes. I, again, I went through a lot of old uh, emails, but not all of them are old. 
I always want to read them from Jolene Wojcik, who writes, Life has not been easy lately. This is from February. Your conversation with Greg Garcia made me laugh and smile. All conversations with Greg Garcia make us laugh and yes, smile. Yes, they do. By the way, we would all like to walk our dogs with Melissa Etheridge. Thank you. Oh, that's right, because Greg told the story. He's out walking his dog, and he ran into Melissa Etheridge. He was walking her dog. Yes. It's a day in the neighborhood for, for Greg. Well, then, in a subsequent phone call that I made to Al Michaels... Al said he used to live next door to Melissa Etheridge and wa- watch her walk her dog. I guess everybody lives next door to Melissa Etheridge. From Gavin Luer in Alexandria, Virginia. This is so great. I'm not really keeping up with the Winter Olympics. It's from February. How's Window Nation doing in the medal count? That's fun. That's actually fun. In February again, from Ash in San Francisco. During dinner this past Saturday night, the woman to whom I'm related by marriage asked who I wanted to win the Super Bowl. I said Cincinnati, because as an estranged Detroit Lions fan, I can sympathize with Bengals fans. I also told her it would just mean more for the people of Cincinnati. I said, listen to this. And I played Dan Burns' Super Bowl song for her. After it finished, she said, I love Dan Byrne. I asked if she knew him from the pod. She's a loyal little too. And she said, no, I know him from when I went to his concert while in law school. You know, he's a real musician. And looked at me like I was a rum dum. (laughs) More evidence that I got the better end of the deal when she agreed to marry me. Dan Byrne. Dan Byrne just pops up, doesn't he? (laughs) He He just pops up. Yes, like Zelig. From the great Tony Beeson, and this was in February. Do you think that Louise Gluck would hire herself out as a therapy poet. She could recite dirges and laments to me daily until next season, because Cincinnati lost the Super Bowl. Something like, sadness descends like smog in the Inglewood Hills. Bengal dreams of victory are buried under an avalanche of twisted limbs and angry rushers. Lord, please protect our quarterback. Heaven knows our offensive line will not. (laughs) From Matthew Thomas in Bowmanville, Ontario, again from February. First time, long time. Just wanted to express my sincere appreciation for all the inside information gathered from many pleasurable hours listening to the show during the pandemic. As it turns out, if you're paying enough attention, you attention, you manage to glean the secrets to winning twelve hundred Canadian dollars in your office Super Bowl pool. Couldn't have done it without Mr. Tony and his regular guests, Jason Lock and Fora, Jeff Ma, James Carville, and of course the monkey. My wife, who once inadvertently dubbed TK with the moniker Corny Toheiser in a bout of pronunciation dyslexia, sends her warm regards. She thinks perhaps we should all go in on the toaster, but I think we need more outlets, as our kitchen presently only has a modest five. Loved listening as I shoveled the driveway for three straight months. <laughs> Isn't that nice? From Brandon Borzelli, who we have always loved, yes. again from February. At the end of the Super Bowl ad set to the Sopranos music, that's, that's Meadow Soprano is advertising an electric vehicle, if I remember correctly. Yeah, parking. Yes, that's right. right. At the end of the yes, Super Bowl ad set to the Sopranos music, when Meadow stops the car, if you turn up the volume, you can hear the crunch as she runs over Phil Leotardo <laughs> for old times' sake. <laughs> It's a brilliant, brilliant email (laughs) from Roy Mathewson in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I just cannot figure out why an illegal alien who is clearly a hanger-on to a swinging monkey around town needs three Indochino suits. Well, the answer that he dresses for dinner. (laughs) And one more, also from February, from Ken Scudder. For decades, I've counted on the show for a lot of things, weather reports for places I don't live, lunch orders for people I've never met, spin rates and other golf esoteric about players I've never heard of in tournaments they don't even recognize. But this month, I got something from you I never expected. Domestic bliss. About two weeks ago, the woman related to me by marriage said that for Valentine's Day, she did not want chocolate. 
In fact, she said, just get me gummy bears. <laughs> Thanks to your pod, I knew that lowly Haribo would not do and immediately placed an order with Albanese. Next, I bought a heart-shaped box full of chocolate-covered strawberries, ate the strawberries, and placed the gummies in the box. <laughs> she was thrilled, surprised, and agrees these are the best gummies she's ever had. Anyway, her birthday's coming up. I'm open to suggestions. Her birthday was passed by, but we wanted to read that. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Go Victor Robles, because we saw Victor Robles.
Flowing high. 